0: On today's podcast we are going to be talking about the four most important current financial issues for GPs. Now, if you're not a GP, do not turn off because the issue number 3 that we talk about is the 1920 annual allowance compensation scheme and we've been banging on about this on our podcast, on our blogs, on our doctors.net blog as well because it's such an important issue and If you're not a GP, just skip to that bit and have a listen to that because the annual allowance scheme compensation for 1920, the deadline is coming up. And if you miss that deadline, you are essentially missing out what is as close as you can get to free money. And if you are a GP, then we're going to be talking about the GP earnings transparency disclosure where any GP earning over £150,000 has to get their name in lights as a reward for all their hard work. We're going to be talking about the issues of PCN accounts and the surpluses and the taxation thereof. We're talking about the 1920 annual allowance compensation scheme, which does not just apply to GPs. It applies to lots of other doctors as well. And it's really important that you don't miss that deadline. And on the theme of deadlines as well, we're talking about final pay controls, which we've talked about in the past on the podcast. And we update that information and also tell you about a really important deadline, which is coming up at the end of this year, 31st of December 2021. Maybe a bit more focused on GPs today, but definitely something for everyone. And please, please, if any chance that you could be affected, check out that 1920 annual allowance compensation scheme.
1: Now, we recorded this episode about two weeks ago, and since then, a few things have changed. So, the 1920 compensation scheme form needs to be submitted to PCSE by the 11th of February 2022, not the 31st of March 2022. This is to allow PCSE to get the information to NHS pensions by the 31st of March. So that's really important. And definitely keep records of all of that Will be my tip when dealing with PCSE, say no more. The other thing is that the pay disclosure has been postponed until spring 2022. Um, it's our understanding that anyone who has submitted their information will not have it published. Uh, It's not clear whether in the spring they'll still want to retrospectively report on the 2019-2020 pay but for now it's been postponed but you can enjoy mine and Jim's rant on that subject anyway.
0: This also seems like a really good point to mention that if you are a GP who's new to partnership or you know a GP who's new to partnership, then Medics Money New to GP Partnership course is for you. Over the course of 12 months, we are going to teach you everything that you need to know to survive and thrive as a new GP partner. Our course is run for GP partners, by GP partners. With the help of some of the best financial professionals in the game some of whom you'll recognize from this podcast but we're also going to be focusing on wider issues as such as surviving in a high stress job well-being and how to lead and manage a team successfully you can find out more information about this course at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash gp course and i've dropped the link in the show notes below and the good news is, for eligible partners, it is fully funded by the NHS. So the cost to you will be nothing. Head to www.medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course to avoid missing out. Welcome to the Medics Money podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins, and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. On today's podcast, I'm delighted to welcome two podcast debutants, Sarah Edwards, and Jim Duggan from Albert Goodman Specialist Medical Accountants. Hi, guys. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Tommy. Great to have you on the podcast for the first time. I know that you're both keen podcast listeners, and we really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Do you want to just introduce yourselves to the Medics Money podcast listeners and tell them why you're qualified to talk about today's subject?
2: Sure. Shall I start? Yeah, My name's Jim Duggan, obviously. I am a partner, the healthcare partner in Albert Goodman. I have worked... In the with medical professions now for over 20 years. As a firm, our department deals with over 1,200 medical professionals going from GPs to consultants to locums, et cetera. It's about 90% of what we do. So we have a great knowledge of the day-to-day requirements that, and challenges that are facing GPs and consultants within the medical profession in this climate, which is changing rapidly on a day-to-day basis. I also sit on the board of ASMA, which is the Association of Independent Specialist Medical Accountants and ASMA, as you probably know, Tommy, are very much at the forefront of an awful lot of discussions that are happening at higher levels within the NHS.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Vast majority of those on Medic's Money are ASMA and really appreciate the work that you guys are doing in the background there, which people don't see. Actually got a meeting today at two o'clock with NHS pensions and uh, so a couple of ASMA people as well. So Thanks for all the hard work and I know how busy Medic's money has been keeping you because you've been incredibly popular since you joined as our most Western outpost, I believe. And Sarah, do you want to just introduce yourself?
3: Absolutely. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah, my name's Sarah Edwards. I'm a director at Albert Goodman within the medical team working with Jim. Been at Albert Goodman for over ten years. Also had a spell in industry, which gives me a bit of appreciation for the pressures faced in business for sort of day to day and strategic. And yeah, similar to Jim, we work sort of 95% of what we do is based with GPs, consultants, locums, retired GPs. So we live and breathe medic.
0: I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we're really happy to have you on board, Medics Money, and uh, you've been incredibly popular since you joined. And uh, yeah, I hinted at your location there. You are our most Western outpost covering Bristol and Devon and further down West Country. Is that right?
2: Dorsted, Cornwall, Wiltshire. And Gloucestershire. So we cover that corner really. Perfect.
0: Okay. Now today's topics are going to save me about a million emails because these four topics that you've chosen are the most relevant topics to GPs right now. So should we just get started straight away? And number one topic is the GP earnings transparency disclosure. So do you want to tell us a bit about what that is, what GPs need to know and maybe do about it?
2: Absolutely. So this is something that came in with the alteration of the 2015 GMS and PMS regulations. It's been controversial really since it was introduced and agreed at the time, but it was forced upon GPs as part of those contract negotiations. Under the, under the terms of that, anyone who earns from the NHS in excess of £150,000 from 1920 and then it goes up by inflation thereafter will have to make declarations that will go into the public domain. So I'd say it's, it's one of those things that none of us really want to do, but it's something that's out that we, we just have to deal with and address now at this point in time. We had hoped it had gone away a little bit because of COVID, but it has come back with a very short 14 deadline for 1920 in the last couple of weeks. That, to my mind, is I'm pretty cynical about that, I have to say, per, on a personal level, not speaking as, <laughs> as a representative of anybody. And the people who are affected by it, in essence, it's going to be anyone who's a GP partner, which again is galling on, on the grounds that effectively there's a wider range of medical professionals who just seem to be exempt from, the, from this, and it's just a targeting of the GPs who you know, pretty much worked their socks off for the last 18 months to two years to make sure that we're all kept safe and, and deal with this pandemic. So it's one of those things that, I say, it, it's not a nice thing to have to do. It also affects anybody if you were a GP practice and you have a locum coming in. It is also a declaration that your contract with the locum will also have to include that declaration Say that they will report or there will be a report of any earnings they have that go over £150,000. There's a very bizarre, strange thing about it, which is that if you have got a locum who goes through an agency, they're exempt. And we all know how expensive agencies are. And so all it seems to be doing is trying to push people into spending more money as opposed to actually trying to run a business properly.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that last bit about agencies being exempt. So I've got two questions that we're getting asked a lot. So you said the threshold is 150. Yeah. Can you just clarify that pensionable income? Is it NHS income? Is it total income? Like what's the 150?
2: Yeah, sure. It is effectively NHS pensionable income. That's what you'll have to declare. So most GP partners will produce a type 1 certificate and it'll be the income that will be declared on that type 1 certificate is what we'll have to report. Great.
0: Good to clarify that. I didn't know if I wanted to ask this question, but I think you're keen to answer. So accepting that the, what we're about to say does not represent the views of ASMA or Albert Goodman and is Jim and mine's personal view, what do you think the agenda is here? Because it's...
2: <laughs> my, my feeling is that there's ever since the new contract came in in 2004-05, there's been a lengthy period of GP bashing. And to my mind, it is just an extension of that. If I were to be perfectly honest and say that we're in a situation at the moment where there's a shortage of GPs and it's something that's been created pretty much at a high level within the country. And we're in a position where, a situation where we've had a lot of extra stuff to do because of a pandemic. And the natural inference there is that most people are going to see more income in coming through in, in those years and people are going to be yes, clear that. My feeling personally is That's wrong. We should be looking at what GPs have done for us over the last 18 months. And we shouldn't be looking at anything else. And most of these figures, these £150,000 earning levels, the argument, it's something that other people working in the civil service will have to declare. But the vast majority of those are worth 37 and a half hours a week, not the 50, 60 hours a week that most GPs are working currently. So if you looked at it on an earnings per, on a 37 and a half hour basis, most of the people have to declare would be under the 150 if he was pro-rata on this on a like-for-like basis. Yeah. I mean,
0: the non-cynical side of my brain has been trying to think of logical reasons why this data might be useful to NHS England, but it's rapidly taken over by the cynical side that this is just a deliberate attempt to drive a wedge between GPs and their patients and their staff. And And like you said, if you do breach it in... A lot of GPs have done a tremendous amount of extra work this year. We've immunized the 70% of the nation. Guess what? That was like a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job for a lot of GPs. So they're going to have an income spike because guess what? They've been pushing 120-hour weeks. And the reward for that is to get your details published in the public domain. So it's kind of a nice reward to say, great, thanks for immunizing the nation, GPs, and working all throughout the pandemic. You get your name in lights, but it's not quite your name in lights, is it?
2: It's not. And as I say, I think people have lost focus on what you've done for us. They'll just see that bottom line number. And as you say, Seb, it's not a normal year and probably hasn't been a normal two years. And we shouldn't be looking at it there for a normal two years. Yes, if we need to bring it in, what we need is an NHS that's properly funded and properly staffed, where people actually have the ability to have a work-life balance, which they currently don't have. And then you can maybe talk about the 150,000 when you're looking at apples and apples as opposed to apples and pears. Yeah.
0: And like, why not do it as an hourly rate, right? Because 150 is a tremendous amount of money. No one's saying it isn't. But if you break it down as an hourly rate, yeah, that'd be much more objective because I am technically a part-time GP partner because I only do six sessions a week. But that six sessions is never less than 40 hours a week, which is over full time in any other non-healthcare occupation. But somehow... We've got to this situation where for me doing 40 long, stressful, intense hours a week is classified as part-time. It's absolutely nuts.
2: And, and so, so, the other thing is, there is a recruitment crisis. The government's rendering people in to the NHS. The government have accepted the way forward and the best way forward for the NHS, particularly in the GP side of things. It's a partnership model. And all they're doing is crucifying people who are coming through and putting a barrier for people to actually become part of that system. So how are you going to solve your recruitment crisis? You know, you're know, you saying to people, yes, come and earn a lot of money, but we're going to tell everyone, we're going to tell all your neighbors what you earn.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely ludicrous. But anyway, shall we move on? I feel like we could both rant about this all day. Shall we move on to what GPs need to know about? Because we get a lot of questions. Again, another issue that a lot of PCNs are running a surplus because got all this extra PCN money to recruit for the additional roles, but guess what? There's no staff out there to recruit for the additional roles. You end up with a surplus. So that creates all kinds of issues. Should we get into those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's something that's fairly common at the moment. And again, the PCNs were introduced on a very rapid rate. There was no structure to them at all. It was just suddenly imposed on people at very short notice. And what we found at the end of the first year, particularly, was that people weren't able to get near PCN groups weren't able to organize themselves sufficiently to spend all of this money and there were surpluses lying around. At that point, people had the idea that they could hold that money forward and use it in the future. The problem is that PCNs don't actually have a legal entity and won't have that legal presence until such time as they do something that incorporate or form some kind of partnership. The issue with that is that any surplus that's left over in the PCN actually belongs to the member practices and needs to be declared on the member practices. The partners within those practices need to declare their share of that income on their tax returns. Otherwise, their tax returns are incorrect. The problem we've faced and we've seen in the past is that, how do you quantify that? Because a lot of people will tell you, we've got this money in the bank account. And it's not really as simple as that. You need to see how the money is coming in, how it's been paid out. And you really need to see some sets of accounts for PCNs to actually define what that surplus is, how it's allocated among the member practices. So that can then come forward and be included in the individual individual practices accounts relevant for that year.
0: Awesome. I think it's just something that GP partners need to be aware of and make sure that they're aware of the issues. But really, that is firmly the territory of your specialist medical accountant, right? This isn't something that GP partners need to do themselves. Just be aware.
2: The biggest resistance we have has actually been to producing accounts. And I think everyone needs to be aware... And they sit down and they think about, well, actually, it's a large amount of money, so we don't have to worry about it. But we do know that HMRC have successfully challenged some of the larger PCN groups in the country in the last 12 months about the taxation of their surpluses and obviously been successful within that. So people need to know if their tax return is wrong and it's amended at a later date, there is the possibility that you get charged interest for it on the late payment of your tax. So it is important that we get this right from now on. That being said, there are some forms of income that you do not have to declare and carry across into the practices. So the investment and impact fund money, that is entirely due to the PCN and therefore can be carried forward until such time as it's spent. And if you get to the end of the year and the PCN has contracted for some expenditure, and actually has gone down the lines of signing contracts to get this the work started on it, then that can also be carried forward as an expense within the PCN accounts and not included in the amount that's distributed to practices. The problem you've got is that with this extra money coming through, people are going to get tax liabilities and they're going to have to pay tax on their share of this surplus. So while the PCN might not want to release sufficient funds to completely clear the bank account and not have that resource going forward, we recommending they should at least distribute the tax liability arising on each individual share of that surplus so that it's effectively cash neutral to that person when they make the declaration of their own income tax. Yeah, that makes good sense. All right, shall we move on? You've chosen really
0: hard subjects. I like this. What is the latest about the annual allowance? Should we just start with a really... For some people, they might not be aware of the annual allowance, what it is. So should we start with the basics and then get on the details pretty heavy?
3: Absolutely, Tommy. I'll take that one. So the annual allowance is forty thousand pound limit. So you can have pension growth of forty thousand pounds in any year before incurring any potential tax charge. Um, any pension growth in excess of forty we'll incur an annual allowance tax charge. Potentially, if you're a higher earner, you may not get that full forty thousand annual allowance. It may get tapered down to a lower amount. So you end up paying tax charge on pension growth in excess of say minimum of £4,000 now if you're a high earner.
0: Awesome. And I think the key thing there is growth, not contributions, right?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So the the, the NHS pension scheme is defined benefits. So it's um, it's a, in some ways rather daft calculation, that um, it's based on the the growth within your pension rather than the contributions that you make um, in any given year.
0: Yeah. So if you're sat there thinking, well, I've contributed less than 40000 to my pension last year, so I've got no worries. It's not the contributions, it's the growth. So yeah. Okay. And you alluded to it slightly there, that the limits have been changed. And so that means that the problem's gone away, right? It's been fixed.
3: Absolutely not. So and the reason we really wanted to talk about this is today that there are a number of things that have happened sort of over the last twelve months that will mean that annual allowances potentially become more of an issue for people. Um, we've already touched on already in terms of additional workloads you know, backlogs, waiting list initiatives, shortages of GPs, COVID vaccinations, all of these are bringing in extra income for, rightly so, the medical profession. And those things together with inflation, so coming out of the pandemic, inflation is rising steadily. And due to the complexities of the calculation of the annual allowance for a defined benefit scheme like the NHS, that in periods of inflation growth, then you often find a high growth in a year and often that will cause annual allowance issues um, and tax charges. So a number of things going on at the moment that are impacting and mean that annual allowances will become more of an issue. Like you said, some people think, well, actually, no, I've heard the thresholds have gone up. So I don't need to worry about the tapering. So, which is true. So the tapering threshold has has increased to 240,000. So In many cases, that is good. A lot of people will be taken out of tapering, so they will have the full 40000 annual allowance. But with all of those additional incomes coming through 2021 tax year and into 2022, there will be a lot of people who are considered higher earners and will still be tapered. So you will have a reduced annual allowance, and now it can be reduced down to 4000 as a minimum. And in any case, even if you're not a real high earner and have your allowance tapered, A lot of people, just because of those additional pensional earnings, you will potentially see growth in excess of the £40,000, even if you're not tapered. So potential for some more people to have annual allowance charges issues in the next couple of years.
0: Well, that was an amazing summary of the issue. So just to recap from a layman's perspective, so you could have never breached the taper, but still have an annual allowance charge. Inflation is rising high right now. And that means that the growth in your pension is going to be high. And that could make it more likely that you had a charge. So even if your income has been stable for years and you've been okay for years, with inflation being high, it's more of a high risk because of the way that the growth in that pension is calculated. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's right.
0: Awesome. Something else that I really want to mention, we've been shouting this from the rooftops for absolutely ages now and i'm sure all of your clients are fully up to speed on this one but there are gps out there who don't use a specialist medical accountant which is a shock to me but the can we talk about the 1920 annual allowance compensation scheme the deadline is coming up like this is free money or is it
3: well essentially yes it is so of the the tapering the thresholds that we talked about increasing increased from 2020 to 21 tax year But the government did introduce a compensation scheme for the 2019-20 tax year. So any annual allowance charges for that year, where there is a scheme pays election in place, you can apply for the government compensation scheme, where the government will refund your pension scheme for that tax liability uh, on retirement plus interest. So essentially, yes, free money. I say free money, you pay it and then you get it back. But the deadline for the compensation scheme and the scheme pays election for nineteen twenty is the thirty first of March twenty twenty two. So yes, we're on top of it. And if we don't know if there's a charge, we're putting in protective claims to make sure that those forms can be updated if we know at some point there is a charge. So yeah, make sure you're talking to a medic, a specialist, medical accountant who will be able to help you with Definitely. And just
0: do not miss that deadline. I've seen some crazy data. I think it was like 7,500 doctors affected and only 2,000 have put in a form. So there's thousands of doctors out there who are potentially missing out. So don't miss out. If someone else ever pays offers to pay your tax bill, this isn't financial advice, but if someone does offer to pay your tax bill, it's usually a good idea to let them do it, I think. I would say so. (laughs) Yeah. So just don't miss the boat. There's like thousands of GPs out there who are missing this boat. And the boat leaves on the 31st of March, 2022, right? Yeah. Get on the boat. Absolutely. Well, I always like to finish the podcast with a real easy, simple topic just to ease people through their day or their workout or they're probably finishing their commute. So final pay control charges,
3: easy. Absolutely. So just a bit of background because some are probably not familiar with it. The final pay controls were brought in in 2014 for those in the offices scheme. So where your pension is based on the best of the last three years. And the reason the rules were brought in was because It was noticed that there were employers were giving large pay increases in the last three years of employment, which was giving rise to an increase in the pension for those employees. But very little in terms of contributions by either the employer or the employee have been made towards that increase in pension because it was made in the last three years. So they brought in these rules that says if a pay increase exceeds an allowable amount, then the employer will suffer a final pay control charge. And they can be quite chunky charges. So it's the contribution towards an increase in the person's pension up to however many years that is considered to go on for. So we have seen some, some chunky charges. So the reason that we wanted to talk about it today, Tommy, was because there in July of this year, there are some changes were brought into the rules. So some good changes. The amount that a pay can increase before you need to worry about a final pay control charge has increased. So your a pay can increase by CPI plus 7% now before needing to worry about a charge. It was CPI plus 4.5%. And also they have brought in some exemptions. So if pay increases because the ending of a salary sacrifice arrangement, so your pensionable pay suddenly goes up or you get a clinical excellence award, not that common at the moment, but if you get one and your pay increases because of that. um, And also, for example, a non-GP profit sharing partner and Another partner drops the session and therefore your profit share increases. If your pay increases in the last three years for, for one of those reasons, then you don't need to worry about a final pay control charge. Those are exempt sort of reasons for an increase. So those changes were brought in in July 2021. However, they were able to retrospectively apply those back to 1st of April 2018. So what that means is any charges that have been levied since 1st of April 2018, you can apply to have them reassessed under the new rules. So that's really important. In a lot of cases, having them reassessed, it could reduce your charge or it could remove the charge completely. And the important bit is the deadline. Again, deadline is for to have those charges reassessed is the 31st of December of this year. So was that eight weeks? we've got to get those charges reassessed. And again, similar to compensation scheme, the last I read was there was surprisingly low uptake. Not many people have applied to have their charges reassessed. So it's we wanted to make sure that information is out there and get people, again, speaking to their medical specialists, who can help you with that for that deadline.
0: Yeah. So we did a podcast on this before the changes that you just announced were introduced with your asthma colleague, Andy Powell. So that is a great update to that podcast because his podcast is now out of date because of those changes. The other thing that I wanted to say is what a lot of doctors don't see going on behind the scenes is that we mentioned it already, but asthma, you were instrumental in saying, look, this is crazy and can we make a sensible change? So thank you for all the behind the scenes work that's going on there. I don't know if you need to credit anyone else, Jim, that helped you out with that, because I know how much you and the ASMA board have worked towards fixing this ridiculous situation.
2: It is pretty much the ASMA board. We worked tirelessly with all these things that are coming through. We had a lot of input to dilute in terms of the trip pay transparency to dilute some of the income streams that they wanted to include in that, so I think it's um, as a board we tend to have the approach that we're here to work with GPs, but also make sure everyone's treated fairly. If we think that's not happening, we will stand out. We'll stand beside you on the on the front line to make sure this does happen.
0: I mean, it's definitely appreciated. It's mostly going on behind the scenes. I mentioned we have a meeting with NHS pensions and a couple of ASMA board members later today just under the radar, just trying to work with them to help improve things for everybody. So thank you for doing that. And if everybody works together on this, you never know, we might get something. And, you know, I think looking at it from a layman's perspective, the changes that you were instrumental in making to the final pay controls, they look a bit better to the untrained eye. Is that a fair summary?
2: They are. We've looked at situations where, as Sarah said, where liabilities have been completely reversed and eliminated. From that, as a result of that change, perfect. Yeah, but if you don't do anything about it, thirty first
0: of December, twenty twenty one, did you say? Yeah, uh,
3: that's
0: it. And after that, again, that boat has sailed. Yep. So two boats you probably want to look at getting on there: the nineteen twenty annual hours compensation scheme and the final pay control.
3: And the other thing, just with the final pay control, again, we talked about it with increases in income. So a lot of extra hours being done with COVID, COVID bonuses by some employers. So Not just the reassessment of claims, but also looking at people's increases in pay in the next couple of years if they're in the last three years of employment. Yes, the allowable amount has increased, but just something to keep in mind at the back of your head if that's the case.
0: Brilliant. That was such an amazing update on all those current issues. Like I said, that's going to answer a lot of questions that we're getting and I'm sure you are getting as well. I mean, we've been a little bit on the negative side today. So if any GPs are listening to this, give us some good news, Jim and Sarah, because obviously I'm a GP and I still love being a GP. And admittedly, I'm only doing six sessions now, but it's still a great job. It's still a rewarding job. The thing that gets me not loving GP is basically what's on this list. Earnings disclosure, PCN accounts, annual allowance of final pay control charges, but that's not part of the job. So come on, give us some good spins for GPs out there listening. Well, that's a,
2: <laughs> an interesting one. I think you've got to then look at. You've got to think in terms of how you, what you came into the profession to do. You made basically. We've always said that medicines a calling to actually help people, and I think you've got to look at what you have achieved over the last twelve to eighteen months in terms of maintaining the level of support for and treatment and protection of your patients. To the wider, the whole thing about the vaccination. I sit back and I look. I'm amazed that the whole mechanism to get it done. It's not a case of that you hadn't noticed. You're people getting told on a Thursday, you're getting 400 vaccines tomorrow and you've only got two days and which true distribute them. That, to my mind, that is just, it's just phenomenal. It blows my mind what you guys have achieved when it comes to that. And I think you've got me very proud of that. And there is so much that's positive within medicine. And there is so much that's positive in the GP market, in the GP world, that you're a group of people who work very well collaboratively and you are improving our lives and the whole idea is that we move forward. I remember years ago that the whole concept behind medicine was treatment and was reactive. And there was a very small part of the medical course, which was uh, social and preventative medicine. And we've moved so far forward on that. We're looking forward to people making people aware, change people's lifestyles, and you guys are instrumental in that whole process. There will be good comes out of it. This hope, like everything, this pandemic is going to disappear. We will get back to dealing with things. One of the great innovations that has to some extent been forced on us, but has worked out really well, are video consults, which have actually helped significantly reduce what I would normally class as the Monday morning pressures, where everyone is just lined up outside the GP practice because they want treatment of what happened over the weekend. Again, I go back to when you had the idea of, the old ads. you're both you're far too young to remember these things but put a sticking plaster on it. you don't need to go to the doctor if you cut your finger we've got to get people back into that and we're getting that triaging is helping to put people back into looking at what's important and what's not important the other thing i see is this, the loyalty you have from your patients and you don't get that for doing nothing you get that because you're doing such a good job and i think you've got to focus on what you're delivering uh the finances and in it's not an incidental part of it because you all have to live and we all have to do accounts and, and pay our taxes, etc. But I always believe you work hard enough, you get paid properly for what you do. You know, nobody should be vilified for it. And I think you do a great job. And I think that's the thing that you've got to hold on to at the end of the day. There weren't hundreds of us out there clapping on the streets all the way through the pandemic for nothing. It's because we have great belief in what you guys do and great faith in what you guys do.
0: Wise words there, Jim. And I don't know about you, Sarah, but I'm happy to end on a high there because Jim GSA, said there's
3: that... There's not a lot I can add to
0: that. Well, he also... Jim said me and you look young, which is amazing. <laughs> like, I that. I'm definitely like, that's enough for me. I'm super happy <laughs> Ending now. Ending on
3: a high. <laughs> yeah.
0: Listen, if people... I know you're already really busy because I know how popular you are on Medics Money, but if people do like the sound of what you, they hear and they do want to get hold of you,
2: what is the best way to get hold of you? If I give you my email address and my contact, and then we can go from there. So my email address is uh, jim.duggan at albertgoodman.co.uk. We have a, an office phone number, which is 01179 And I'm happy to give people my mobile number, which is 07718
0: Do you know how many people listen to this podcast right now, Jim? You're
2: That's you're- all right. <laughs> I'd say I'm a firm believer that we should be here. You're here if we need you. We should be here if you need us.
0: That's really kind. As I said, I really appreciate you coming on this morning. It's part of the magic sauce that makes Medics Money work. Experts like you teaching us what you know, helping us through these ridiculously complicated financial minefields. We really appreciate your time. And we really look forward to having you back on the Medics Money podcast in due course. Absolutely. We look forward to it. it too. Thank you. Thanks Take for having care, us on. Bye, Thanks, Tommy.